0: I'm Rebecca Kent, you're listening to JLL's Perspectives podcast. Cautious but confident is how you might describe the way investors are approaching commercial real estate as they navigate a sector hit by huge economic and social changes over the past year. JLL Research predicts the values of some of Australia's best city office buildings will fall by anywhere from 4% to 7% in some areas, while older buildings could see their values drop even lower by 20%. The same goes for some regional shopping centres. There's promise on the horizon, though. Various coronavirus vaccine announcements appear to be shifting sentiment, causing share prices to jump for some office and retail landlords as investors hold out hope for a speedy return of workers back to the office and shoppers back into malls. One type of property that is thriving regardless, however, is warehouses. On the back of an e-commerce boom, investors seemingly cannot get enough and for the first time ever, industrial assets are in the same league as shiny city offices in terms of their value. Here's Andrew Ballantyne, JLL's Head of Research in Australia, commenting on a JLL webinar on the making of a new hierarchy among the core asset classes of office, retail and industrial.
1: The next area that I wanted to discuss this morning is what we've called the Great Convergence, Now, Fergal asked me not to put up any boring charts here. So apologies that this does look a little boring. It goes top left all the way to the bottom right. But it shows that story of the great convergence that we're seeing across the office, retail, and industrial and logistics sector. And it's really the industrial and logistics sector that is driving this convergence at the moment. And a lot of people have talked about how resilient the sector has been through COVID-19. I actually believe the defensive characteristics of the sector were first started to be recognized to a greater extent coming through the financial crisis. And what we saw through the financial crisis was the resilience of income and cash flow collection. We've seen that again come through very strongly. So we can see that those defensive characteristics are very much uh, valued by investors. And the big question, and maybe Fergal, I'll leave this for the panel towards the end. Could we actually see an inversion of some of those relationships in a new hierarchy between the sectors, because this convergence story that we're seeing here in Australia is very much replicated around the region. And if you look at Shanghai as an illustration, uh, the spread seven years ago was about 250 basis points between office and industrial. It's now sitting at just under hundred basis points. So I think that great convergence story It's going to be a thematic that we discuss uh, moving forward over the next 12 to 18 months.
0: Andrew Ballantyne there was speaking on a JLL Capital Markets webinar entitled The Truth About the Impacts of COVID. For this podcast, I've extracted a few really good other bits from that webinar. You'll hear from Leonie Wilkinson, Senior Vice President at Brookfield Asset Management, who talks about the opportunistic investments that are interesting Brookfield right now. And Dave Roberts, Head of Global Real Estate Strategy at Macquarie Group, who looks at how investment in Australia is stacking up against its global rivals. You'll also hear from Fergal Harris, JLL's Head of Capital Markets in Australia, who is moderating. If you'd like to watch this webinar, or if you have a question for any of the panellists, just drop us a line at jll.com.au forward slash perspectives podcast. But first of all, here Fergal kicks off talking about rising property yields and low interest rates and the opportunity this presents for investors prepared to withstand the risk of uncertainty in the short term.
2: One of the the things that has been on my mind and I know it's been on on our mind has been the increase in cap rates but also the historic low of the risk-free rate. But you'd have to think that given where where historically uh, cap rates trend Trend towards the risk-free rate, that there would be a natural convergence in the offing over the next two to three years, notwithstanding the short-term risk. And the only, you know, from from Brookfield's perspective and your own perspective, you know, that that presents opportunity clearly. Um, not that it's a given, and that's just going to buy a property and over time it just pays for itself because there's a convergence. But it it must it must offer opportunity for the more um, or the less risk-averse or the the more risk-savvy. Would you agree with that?
3: The current spread in the yields on property and the yields that you can receive on bonds are very high and that supports down pressure on cap rates in real estate. But the caveat to that is that investors do need to see high-quality income coming from those real estate assets to justify that tightening in yield. So I think your point around an opportunity for a risk-averse investor is there. If they can do their work on the quality of income coming off that asset and be comfortable that there's a long-term lease in place with a high-quality covenant, then yes, absolutely. Um, Strong demand from investors that are focused on that yield um, and are risk-averse. Equally, on the other side of the equation, if we have a less resilient income or a shorter whale or income in place from a tenant that maybe is subject to being in a a more weak space post-COVID, then as the income um, has more risk associated with it, they're the kind of contrarian opportunistic um, investments that we're quite interested in um, on our own behalf um, at Brookfield. And this is where we're starting to see some opportunities um, come in in to play now. We think they'll start to emerge six to 12 months post the trough of the downturn, so we're watching now. I think, generally, um, high-quality assets are owned by high-quality institutional investors who are rational and are thinking long-term and continuing to invest into those assets. So I completely agree. Um, It's unlikely that we'll see distress in the high-quality assets across all sectors of real estate in Australia. But we're keeping a really close eye on perhaps lower quality assets within those sectors that might be owned by a group that perhaps doesn't have the appetite to continue to invest capital into that asset so it's attractive to occupiers going forward. And also in some of the sectors that are unloved by the listed market in particular. So there's good fundamentals that we believe in over the long term in sectors like tourism, um, hotels generally, um, student accommodation, even retail, if we believe in the long-term fundamentals, where we're seeing those prices come off already and a lot of vulnerability in the income, um, we're very interested in looking at those over the next um, little
2: while. I'm sure, and actually that leads me on to another point in terms of you know, the, the if we go back even a short time ago where we were talking about distress would naturally follow um, a, a, an event like, like our COVID, um, the, the softening of the economy that we're in at the moment. And we talk about this euphemism of dry powder. But when you think about it, the dry powder is is a combination of of government stimulus, uh, the under-leverage in the in the debt in the debt markets and, and the foreign capital that pre-existed before COVID. Um, Andrew, if I might just ask you in, in relation to that, I mean, what's your what's your sense of that? Is a significant amount of pockets of pools of capital that will also fund acquisition if there's product, but also stave off um, potential distress or wholesale the stress in the market, I mean, it's, it's, it's significant.
1: The treasurer sort of said that the budget is underpinned by a vaccine towards the end of, sort of 2021, so let's use that as a sort of figure uh, coming through. Uh, if that starts to come through, the thematics that we're talking about at the moment in terms of, you know, widespreads between, between cap rates and, and risk-free rates start to become interesting really across the board. And they arguably as leone said become more interesting for those assets that have seen some distress you know pockets of retail pockets of hospitality where the spreads are the spreads are significantly wider so i think you know fergal it's, it's there there will be i think little pockets of distress but i don't think it's going to be a repeat of what we saw you know back in the financial crisis and i'm a big believer in looking at who i consider the big global investors that are thematic investors and i think they're already positioning themselves around what it means is we come start to come out of COVID because I think everyone's fairly comfortable that we're going to be in an ultra low treasury yield environment for an extended period of time. I think it was one of Dave's colleagues that first said to me at Macquarie. I think this is lower for longer forever, and it was the adding adding on of the forever which is going to have significant implications for asset pricing moving forward.
2: Dave, just in terms of the relative um, uh, yield story between the region and Australia, which which I think we saw in the middle of a recovery post-global financial crisis. So we're going to touch a little bit on that and what your what your view is on that.
4: Yeah, I, I guess on a on a relative basis, um, in, in investors with an allocation of real estate are looking across the, the Asia-Pacific region. If the comparison is, um, I, I, I've got an allocation to core real estate across Asia-Pacific, and I look at CBD, Tokyo, Central 5 Ward cap rates at 3%, similar in singapore similar in hong kong shanghai is at four percent um on a relative basis australia's cap rates um really stack up um against against that um those competing markets and then if you overlay the political stability uh the way the government has has been able to control COVID relative to other de- developed markets i think the the long-term fundamentals of of Australia's safe institutions, um, stable political outlook will continue to support capital um, flowing into the Australian market. I think the other thing that we can't um, underestimate is, one, economically, Australia's um, exposure to China. Um, China's done well to to um, recover out of COVID and um, is probably the only economy globally which is above uh, pre-crisis GDP levels. So that's a huge positive. It's a huge positive for Australia's commodities exports, uh, which which is supporting iron ore pricing and Australian's export sector. Um, I think the other point to make, interestingly, is if you're a global investor and you've got a core allocation to Asia Pacific, um, particularly if you're an American investor, your allocation to China going forward is going to be... Uh, you're going to be much more hesitant about uh, allocating to China, including Shanghai and Beijing going forward. Uh, so if you're if you're forced to place that into 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 real estate in the region, um, you you then look at Japan. We know where cap rates are in Japan. So by default, um, investors continue to to either be forced into the Australian market or continue to look to the Australian market for for placing capital. Um, so, beyond any near term disruptions from COVID in terms of transaction volumes, I think uh, longer term, medium term, we, we, I, I envisage more capital coming back to the Australian market, which um, supports cap rates. And I think in a deflationary environment, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if CBD office cap rates are, are below where they are currently or pre COVID over the next three or four years, um, given where cap rates are in the rest of the world.
2: Um, Leonie, we're talking about international investors and and international capital um, and the the dry powder um, and the difficulties in which people are finding in coming to Australia to inspect and to invest and all that sort of stuff. Clearly, if we're not going to be travelling until the second half of next year, international capital must must surely be able to find a way or find some solution uh, to, to invest in this market
3: yeah i think there's a couple of ways that they're approaching it so the first is it benefits capital that is already experienced in this market and has the confidence to transact without necessarily being on the ground will be that's highly unusual for the way that we traditionally work but if they are positioned well extensively with good trusted advisors across the market um, then we've seen that confidence play out already um, I think it benefits also incumbent managers of offshore capital so it's far easier for an investor to commit more capital with a manager that they already know and trust um, and I think the other really interesting element is technology stepping up to play a role in this so we've been looking at assets ourselves that are overseas and using some really high quality virtual um, fly-throughs of the assets um, it's absolutely not the same thing um, but it's a way that you can supplement the work that you can do with the advisors that you have on the ground and pull it all together and it's amazing how people will continue to evolve and figure out solutions to these things as we need to um, it certainly makes things tougher um, but it's been quite encouraging to see the work and the evolution of the way that people can do this kind of investing in this environment
2: yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. Mm. And I'm looking forward yeah. to seeing how well-held uh, and, and tightly-held beliefs will get will get let go very quickly when you can't invest and you need to invest. I'd just like to thank you all very, very much indeed for taking time to join us this morning. It's been excellent. So many thanks on behalf of JLL. Thank you very much. <laughs>